0: Part Four of Thorstein of the Mere by W. G. Collingwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: The Giant Comes In. Restless they were that spring, and Honor was anxious and somewhat pettish when Swain talked over the chances of a war. For one good thing, however, he was eager to get forward with work at home, so that he might leave the place well read up, and that pleased the mistress right well. So they put on until hay-time, which is pretty early in the low fields by the waterside, and these were all they had under hay, for the summer pastures on the fell were hardly stubbed and far too stony for cutting with the lee. Well, they were all raking by the beckside, and the mistress was pouring ale to slocken them, and the boys were tumbling in the haycocks, when there was a terrible stir in the woods on the other bank. These woods were on a long hill that made a wall to the valley over against Greenodd, and the fields lay between and the tide ran up to the crake to where the valley narrowed and the fields ended and there was a wath or fording-place dogs barked and men shouted and swine squealed they could see by the shaking of the boughs that something was going forward most like a wildcat hunt they said to one another and left it to the swineherds to deal with but presently there was a great splash in the ford and out came a most enormous man half-naked with long red hair and red beard. He held one hand on high, carrying they could not see what. In his other hand was a huge ugly stock of tree. All the swineherd's dogs were after him, and the men too for that matter, but he made no account of them until one dog leaped at his legs as he came up the bank on the hither side. The big man turned and flicked him off like a football, high in the air and splash in the water, and ran straight for greenodd garth swain and his men ran up to meet him with their rakes and forks less afraid than puzzled the big man never stayed until he came to the door and then he thrust the thing he was carrying into a chink of the posts and began talking in a strange tongue he was indeed a giant head and shoulders taller than any of the greenodd men but of quite another make crane-legged and clumsy-handed and jolter-headed unlike Swain, who was no little fellow though his strength was rather in the breadth of his shoulders and the ropey sinews of his wrist and forearm like a seafaring-man as he had been bred they could make nothing of the giant's talk but they saw that the thing he had brought was a burnt splinter and they knew that it was a war-arrow and token of fighting but whence or why they could not guess presently came and listening to the man's talk she smiled and began to answer him the creature made her a low court reverence half haughty half awkward and spoke to her with a strutting way about him like a cock upon patterns as one may say when he had done friend, she said this man's talk is like the talk of our irish and i gather thus much of his discourse that he is the messenger of a war rising in the north and bids you to a weapon show beyond the fells You and all the countryside, whoever will cast in his lot against the Saxon king, and you are to send on the arrow to our next neighbours, and bid them likewise. Spear of him, honour, where and when? said Swain. So she asked him, and said his story was to the intent that he would come again in ten days' time to lead them over the fells by the banest gate to the Scots king and the Welsh king, and all their friends. And she added that she was sorry. "'but she doubted nothing of the man's faith, for there was the arrow. "'Swain drew out the arrow and gave it to one of his young men "'and bade him carry it to Ulfar by the fell-path. "'The red stranger watched him start and saw him run up the fell nimbly "'and nodded his head, and then Una signed that he should come to the house "'for a bite and a sup, and sent the servants back to their haymaking. "'He ate like a wolf until little was left for supper.' and stared about him in great wonderment at the house, and all that was in it, especially at the three boys who gaped at him, while they kept hold of their mother's gown. At last he made another of his reverences, and a speech to Swain, walked swiftly through the fields, splashed across the ford, and so vanished into the woods. Now when the arrow came to Ulfar, he was right glad, and sent it on far and wide, and bade all his neighbours meet at Greenodd. So to Greenodd came two score men with their war weapons, and what the giant had left they ate. But it was a point of honour to give to all comers, and in summer especially there was plenty for the trouble of killing and cooking. They set up tents in the moan field to lodge them, and being all good neighbours there was no rough play to speak of. As for the errand upon which they were come, they held their meeting on the field over against Greenodd across the ford of Crake. They cleared a space on the fell side, and found a little how there, and made a doom-ring, and hallowed it with sprinkling of blood. Some of them that held to the old law wanted Swain to let them have a thrall to redden the stone, but he said nay to that, and gave them a horse. So they killed a horse there for Thor and sprinkled its blood upon all the people, and held a hallowed thing to order their doings, and to pray help and luck from their gods on the journey whither they were bound. Because ulfar was old, they made Swain their captain and swore to him at that spot, which they call Lurgburg and we call Legbarrow, to this day. Then began they to ask after the Red Man, their guide, for it was well known by this time that they were bidden to join Constantine, the King of Scots, and Owain, the son of Donal, the new King of Cumberland and Strathclyde, and to march with all the North upon York by the great highway but how to come upon that highway none of them knew. Nor did they know the paths across the fells, for they had kept hitherto by the sea, and hardly ventured in land where all was wild forest. As they stood in their assembly, some blaming Swain for putting trust in the red man, and some saying that he ought to have been kept by force and not let go, lo and behold the wood opened, and there he was beside them, true to his appointed time chapter nine they travel through the fells little farewell they made and set out some on horseback and some on foot these two score men the giant striding along led them through wild woods up hill and down dale in the midst of the valleys and fells they came upon the traces of an ancient path overgrown with brambles and washed away wherever the becks crossed it for a good while it ran along between hill and plain and then it entered a narrow valley umbered with ancient trees and wholly uninhabited but for wild boars and such like whereupon they named that place grisedale from the boars they found there then the path crossed the beck and crept up the side of a hill to the right hand until it got above the tops of the trees and out on a heathy moor where after a while they found traces of an ancient village but all by now in ruins wall and cotton dyke, from the brink of this moor the travellers could see a delightful lake lying in the valley beneath, among many little houses and hills, and all smothered up in dark green forest. Between the hills on the farther side they came peeps of blue water, here a little and there a little, to which the giant pointed, making signs with his hands that these bits of blue were all one great long winding mere, to which indeed they came after travelling down from the high place past an old ruin by a riverside where Hawkshead Hall stands now, and after toiling for more than a step through the overgrown and deserted pathways. If it had not been for their guide, one would never have guessed that any pathway ran there at all. So hard to follow out was that old track in the forest, and so lonely and uncouth it seemed. They stayed that night at the water-head of this long mere, upon a holm beside two rivers that joined and ran into it raytha the broad water they called the one they first came to and raytha that is trout stream the other in which folk say trout alone do breed upon this holm was an ancient stronghold built four square and well nigh even with the water the walls were in ruin and the roofs of the houses were fallen in but it could be seen that this had been a fine city once upon a time for the houses were strongly built of stone and tiles, and the defences were well planned, and there were old docks and landing-places between sharp nabs that ran into the lake. Among the ruins of the houses were carven pillars and painted walls, so well done that it was a wonder, but the place was overgrown with nettles, and the fairest chambers were choked with briars. A few of the old houses were patched up, and a handful of Welsh dwelt in them hugger-mugger, these Welsh, our Northmen, could understand a little, for they were used to the talk of their Welsh neighbours and servants. They got fire and a welcome, such as it was, for it seemed their coming was known, and more about them than would have been guessed. So they passed the night in the ruined burg by the waterhead of the winding mere, among the rocky fells and forests. Next morning their guide took them by a road along the valley, until they came to another mere a little one under a great nab's scar, over whose axle they climbed about to another lake, not much larger, and with an island in the middle of it, and shores all overgrown with rushes and grass. The mountains around seemed to rise higher and wilder, and on one fell-top was seen the likeness of a man crouching down, as if he would roll great rocks upon the road below. They looked at him again and again, but their guide took up a stone and pointed aloft, making signs that the man on the helm of the crag was no living wight, but a man of stone. And yet some of the northmen were not sorry when they had passed to the other side of his crag, and saw him again in the mist as if he were asleep on his elbow. They were afraid of no mortal man, but they knew that this was a land of wonders and warlocks, and it could be seen that yon stone giant had heard them coming, and had stirred in his sleep. Not the least wonder was that road, running through wild forests up and down rocks and hills always straight forward and paved with cobblestones no little broken path like the one that brought them to the waterhead swain likened it to the manchester road and wondered if the roman folk had been here too where no churches were and whether they had made that stone image on the fell for their god and in this mood they climbed over a high horse where the mountains were at their wildest and rough screes fell down from the rocks on either hand through the ragged trees and soon they had an adventure for on coming down from that pass they found houses by the roadside where it crept along the steep brink a big man came out to meet them swaggering and dressed in strange ancient armour of iron fitted to his body like an iron skin all the same he seemed very filthy and sodden with drink he gave them to wit in Welsh that he was governor of this borderland for the Cumbrian king, and seemingly a greater man than the king himself. For said he, Owain and his father are no Romans like the Donal that went before them, but I said he am of right Roman blood, and my name is Elphin Map Riddach Map Caradoc, and I let no man nor woman pass without tribute. Ah said Swain here we have one of the folk who made this road i guess they were of the trolls kin look your friends no iron will bite upon him and since the fellow would not let them pass Swain, with little ado smote out his fist as it might be to try what would happen and the brain-pan of elfin was cracked against his own stone door-post their guide gazed awhile upon him and turned him over with his foot saying nought but Eich! and so they passed on but here the houses thickened and they came to a city of welshmen that was called the city of helvellyn it was built on a rock above the swampy flats at the head of another lake and fenced round about with a great wall of huge stones on one side was the mire and on the other side rough rocky ground and a waterfall running down from the high mountains the road came up to it and turned sharp round to encompass it and to come in at the gate, and then, after passing through the houses, ran out again, and so to the cliffs overhanging the lake. At this city they stayed a while, and the people brought them honeymead to drink, and it seemed as though swain was much made of, and pointed out by the women and children who came thronging to the door of the house where he sat. And at their departure a crowd followed them along the road, beckoning with their hands and making merriment swain thought they were glad to be quit of the long name Karl, roman or no roman then the road took them on the edge of the wonderful great cliffs by the brink of a long mere in the middle of which was a narrow place and a wath here there were houses poor enough of men who seemed to be the giants kin and there our travellers stayed for the night next morning they crossed the wath and at the foot of the lake they came to a place where four dales met among high mountains and crags and here there was a sweet spot alone in the wilderness with cleared meadow-land and a little brook coming down from helvellyn through the lees to meet the great river that ran from the lake and turning sharply round went by a deep valley afterwards they called this river gritah which is as much as to say the stony water and there is none indeed that has a rougher bed they took notice of this dale because of its sweetness in the midst of wild rocks and forests and because it is not often one sees four dales meeting in one spot like the rays of the sign of thor but their path led them onward through the deep valley of the greta with crags on one hand and a roaring river or spreading swamps on the other until they came to a wide plain and on the other side of it at the foot of the mountain blencathra their path struck a great road which led them eastward by nightfall they came to another of those ancient four-square strongholds and hard by across a little dell the army of the welsh lay at penrydech owain the king received them well and thanked them for their coming and promised them the foremost place when they should meet the saxons in his tent they met kettle bolster as Swain had called him and the northmen from the holm on sulvis bay as they named the solway and they fell in talk together but before they had spoken many words men came running in through the lanes of tents crying out they are here owen bade them have peace and took Swain and his chief men and went out to the brow of the hill there in the twilight they saw the valley beyond thronged with a great multitude and knew by the lights that started up from point to point that athelstan with all his power was camping in the fields of dacre chapter x the carving of dacre cross dacre was then as it is now the name of a village in a pleasant vale on the border between the plain country of cumberland and the mountains of lakeland among the mountains at that time were dwelling only wild welsh and still wilder fell-folk akin to the Picts of Galloway. But in the plain country were many homesteads of Anglians and Danes, dotted here and there beside the old high-road. The Danes were newcomers who had crossed the water-parting, the Keel of England, one may say, as they talked of the Keel of Norway. They had invaded these western parts but fifty years since, when Halfdan laid all the inland regions under him, from Carlisle to Conishead, and remained there after his power had ebbed back over the keel again but the anglians were old inhabitants since the days of egfrith and other great kings whose heirs ruled at bamborough though in diminished splendour until athelstan took their kingdom to himself these anglians were christian people and had priests and monks among them one of their churches was at dacre and near by a monastery a church is there yet on the spot As for the monastery, nobody knows where it stood, but it was doubtless in that valley with the lovely winding beck, and among the acres of corn and pleasant meadowlands, which the monks had cleared and tilled, bordering on the wild home of rocks and wolves. The Welsh of Penrith and Penruddock and Blencoe lived thus alongside of Danes and Anglians, not always quiet neighbours perhaps, but yet on some terms of neighbourhood, and if not good subjects to Owain, king of Cumbria, still reckoned within his borders. So when Athelstan had news about the plots of Owain and Constantine to put back Sigtryg's sons on their father's throne, he marched from York by the old high-road, straight over the keel, and in three days he was here at Dacre, guesting with the monks. And his foes who had come south too late to carry the war into the country of York found nothing left for them to do, but to agree with him as best they might athelstan the king sat in dacre hall and the kings of the north swore to him as they had sworn to his father edward and they gave their hostages into his hands and renounced their dealings with the idolaters namely those heathen danes the sons of sigtryg for said athelstan it is a shame if we being christian men and ruling christian men suffer these unbaptized pagans to ravage a christian land to burn the churches and slay the monks and rob the holy women our sisters and if we three but stand together we might clear the whole island of such knaves and keep it clear for ourselves and our people in peace and plenty to such talk at that while owen and constantine were well agreed and all the readier because athelstan's host was bigger than both of theirs now constantine had with him a young son of his yet unchristened and athelstan willing to knit himself closer to his new friends said that he would stand godfather to the child for in those days it was thought nearer than kinship by blood to be godsib or bound by holy water and the vows of baptism so they brought the young child to dacre church and baptized him and athelstan stood his godfather when he was out of the water and dressed in white with white linen wrapped about his head, said the priest, Here is water, King, as the scripture says. What should hinder these from being baptised? And he pointed to the northmen who were standing without, and neither signed themselves with the cross nor bent the knee at prayer, but stared in through the church porch at the gilded imagery and at the glass windows that Bishop Wilfrith had put there in ancient times. With that there was some shrinking back among those who had been most eager to look on, and Athelstan turned and fixed his gaze upon Swain, and spoke in the northman's tongue, for he knew it well. What sayest thou, friend? Wilt thou set the good example? King, answered he, I am a prime-signed man and no church-robber, for it must be known that many of the heathen were, as one might say, half-baptised. Not that they meant to change their faith, but in order to have dealings in trade and otherwise with Christians, who might have no communion with the unbelievers. And, added Swain, I have a mind to stay as I am. But if I bid thee, said the young king, Edward thy father asked no such thing of me when I took him for father and lord two years ago. Why, brother, I seem to have some inkling of thy face. Was not thou the brawler of Bakewell? With that they laughed and Swain reddened and replied somewhat angrily, Saving a king's presence, I was no brawler, nor did Edward call me so to my face. Nor behind thy back, believe me, good man, for I tell truth when I say that after all were gone and we were together at supper, my father said this to me. Boy, he said, we have done a good day's work, and I remember well how he cracked a great nut when he said it. But, said he, The best touch of my kingcraft for many a year has been the winning of that stout Franklin and his fellows, and he charged me to leave no stone unturned to get the love of you northmen such as had settled peaceably within our borders and were busied in tilling lands hitherto waste and in the carrying trade about our coasts. Now what shall I give thee, since thou dost refuse the best of my gifts in my keeping? King, said Swain, they say we northmen are greedy of gold and of blood and of plunder alone but by this i know that thou art wiser than other men and bearest a grey head on those young shoulders truth it is when thou sayest that we are busied in tilling waste places and in sea-trading and this no man can gainsay and indeed if at times we are ready to fight and to fight our best it is but to keep the homes we have made with our own hands "'and to give them over no less than we hold them "'into the safe keeping of our little ones. "'Then Athelstan thought a while and said, "'It has been in my mind now these many days "'that it would be a wise law "'if every such brave seafaring merchant "'who has made three voyages with his own goods "'in his own ship should be called Thane of England. "'Will that cap fit, friend?' "'Well, King,' answered Swain, "'many a voyage have I made with my own bulk in my own ship,' "'Cheeping a little and, and taking what came in thy way,' broke in the king with a smile. "'That's as you may call it,' said Swain. "'Well, for the law the witan must look to it, "'and for thee, friend, come to me once again when thy mind is made up, "'after talk with the priest here and with the good monks hard by.' The priest was glad enough to talk with Swain, and so were the monks for that matter, and they went near to tearing him in pieces between them first he must away to see the monastery and in it was a carved shrine of golden enamel curiously worked and holding their treasure swain looked for a crown of jewels at the least but lo and behold it was only a lock of hair but they said that this lock of hair was from the head of cuthbert the great saint of their faith and that it had been cut from his dead body when he was carried about by his monks for seven years fleeing before halfdan after carlisle was burnt And then they told Swain of the wonderful things which that lock of hair could do, how it had healed a young man who was diseased in his eyes, and such like, as was written the book of Venerable Beda. Swain wondered at the casket, but he took little heed of the relic, saying he thanked them, and he would come back to them when his eyes ached, if no wise wife at home could cure him. Then they carried him back to Dacre Kirkgarth, where was lying a great pillar of sandstone four-squared and on it drawn with chalk figures to carve and the carver was already at work with mallet and chisel for a monument of the king's meeting there was the font of baptism and over it the two kings hand-selling their peace. athelstan was drawn much the greater because he was the greater king and he seemed eager enough in his picture while Constantine drew back like one who would gladly get his hand out of the grip of his friend, at which Swain laughed within himself, and thought that the carver was belike a true prophet. Then there was a lamb above them, and beneath a heart worried by a hound, so fairly drawn that it was like the life. Under all was a tree, and a serpent at its roots, and one who plucked the apples, and one who took them to make him wise and to get knowledge. Nay, said Swain, that is no new picture, but you have not got it right. This Adam, you call him, Odin, I say, as I was taught, should be hanging in the tree, as the rhyme says. I wavered, I wot on the windy tree, nine whole nights with weapon wounded, offered to Odin myself to myself, gazing groundward the runes I gathered, weeping, I wooed them, and won me down. Ah, cried the priest eagerly. Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, for what saith the scripture? As in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Come with me, and the Lord open thine eyes. Then he took Swain into the little church, and the sunshine came through the windows upon the altar. Behold, said the priest kneeling, one hanging on the tree, wounded with the spear, very God of very God, given by himself to himself that we who are his body might know the truth and that the truth might make us free and more he added earnestly entreating his guest until Swain laid his hand on the frail shoulder of the priest and said gravely young man these two score years i have followed the gods of my fathers and one while they have been good to me and another while they have been evil-minded Now I will not likely take a new God at the bidding of yonder king, nay, not to be Thane or Earl, nor do I wholly understand all thy words, though me seems they are good words, and spoken from a good heart. But this I say, that no priest nor church shall ever be the worse for me or mine, and when my day of need comes, if thy God will help me, he shall be my God. But this I say, that no priest nor church shall ever be the worse for me or mine, and when my day of need comes, if thy God will help me, he shall be my God. He took the priest's hand and went his way, but the priest knelt there, weeping passionately and praying. O God, give me that man's soul! Nay, not unto me, O Lord, but unto thy name be the glory. End of Part 4